time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Thursday, August 20th, 2020. Thank you for joining us. Another great show ahead here on the Get Home Safe podcast. Really excited about our guest today is Mr. Dan Davis. He is a registered investment advisor. He's actually uh, done some great financial advice uh, work as far as planning for the future. I'm actually one of his clients as well as a former student back when I was in eighth grade as well as my junior senior year. Uh, just some great memories with Mr. Davis as far as him teaching us uh, kind of <laughs> during an interesting time of life when you're becoming an eighth grader, you know, your early teenage years are always interesting. And then also in high school, a few years later, as you're kind of, you see the light at the end of the tunnel and you're just trying to get through everything. You are taking uh, everything with a grain of salt a little bit, but at the same time, you have a little more maturity where you are starting to tuck away some of the lessons uh, that you have learned and uh, save them up for uh, later down the road here as you kind of progress into adulthood. Well, uh, some great memories with Mr. Davis, and I got to tell you, he's going to get some uh, great information to everyone today. It is good advice. Again, uh, advice that I not only uh, support and uh, you know give my endorsement of uh, because I am a client of his as well. He's given me some great advice regarding some of my financial investments uh, for my future uh, as someone who doesn't really have any uh, great benefits or anything like that necessarily through 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 my line of work as an independent contractor. So I kind of had to go another different way. And Mr. Dan Davis has been there uh, for me uh, since a very early time, right when I got out of high school is kind of when I started putting money aside, if you will, into some uh, Roth IRAs. And it's been a really good thing for me as I look forward way, way, way down the line. But, uh, you know, it, it's coming up quick. These uh, these years that I, th I think are much further down the road, all of a sudden you blink, you're in your 30s. Before you know that, you'll be in your 40s and, and so on and so on. So uh, he had some great analogies in his uh, conversation with me, gave me a lot of good information uh, as well as information for you guys. This is no pressure for anybody, but it is a good opportunity to hear from someone that I trust and somebody that uh, is, is a good man of character and uh, will provide you uh, any information you want going forward. If you're interested, he's going to leave his contact information as well. And of course, you can get a hold of him through me if necessary as well. But we're going to learn something today through uh, Mr. Dan Davis having a little financial talk, if you will. And again, he is a registered investment advisor for Primerica and somebody that I trust very much. Well, outside of our interview with Mr. Davis, a few things to talk about today. You know, guys, three weeks from today, it is Thursday the 20th, and in three weeks, the NFL will be kicking off its season opener, the Houston Texans and the Kansas City Chiefs. And not only that, you know, a month or so ago, there was talk that some of these things weren't going to happen. People were very skeptical, and it's about three weeks away. But not only are more and more teams, I mean, the schedule hasn't changed really for the NFL. They're planning to, to give it a go, right? 
but some stadiums, some cities are even planning on having fans. I mean, little, small, a small population, if you will, uh, or a capacity, attendance, whatever the case is. Uh, it's it's about one fourth capacity, I think, is what most teams are going with twenty anywhere from twenty to twenty five percent. So I think that is kind of a, a good sign as well that not only is the season going to go, but it's also going to have fans there. So that's a good sign. Uh, there's been an attack recently with some of the college sports and everything. You know, some skeptics, uh, a couple conferences canceling, a few others saying now nah, we're going to play. Uh, that's all still up in the air. But the NFL, man, three weeks from tonight or today, yeah. Uh, three weeks from tonight, uh, opening night in Kansas City on a Thursday night will be the NFL season opener. It is approaching very, very rapidly. Additionally, there's some uh, you know uh, other sports. We talk about it here all the time, but I mean, in in one week, Major League Baseball will be halfway through their 60 game season. Now, a few teams do have some catching up to do with some of their double headers and things uh, when they were kind of shut down when some guys tested positive with the coronavirus and everything. But man, just think, it seems like we just started and we j- and we did. But with Major League Baseball, in another week, you'll be about halfway through the season. Now, there's a lot more, uh, I guess, uh, hope, I guess, is the right word for some of these teams, knowing that more teams are making the playoffs. But it is time to kind of kick it in high gear here for a lot of teams, especially the teams that are a few games behind, not in the standings, but uh, in, in the games that they have to make up. That that could take a toll on some teams as well. So some very interesting storylines. Again, if you're a sports fan and you haven't turned sports off like some people have, there's a lot of interesting things to watch. Uh, the NBA and NHL playoffs are uh, are in full go go mode. The NHL has been going for a few weeks now. NH- NBA just started their playoffs, and uh, you know I got to say, without going into details, it does seem like some people are more focused on some uh, things other than winning. We'll say uh, specifically in the NBA. Think there's a big focus on some other things and you know what some guys are forgetting that uh the the most important thing your job is to perform and win basketball games but uh guys seem to be distracted by other things and want to make that a priority so i won't go, go into any details but uh quite honestly i haven't watched uh, any basketball and i've been caught up in the hockey playoffs it's a lot more interesting to me but to each his own out there to each his own i do know that uh basketball is counting on people tuning in and I guess it hasn't been the the case necessarily. Now the diehard fans are going to watch regardless, but I know some people have uh, kind of tuned out and and with all these different options right now in sports and in a few weeks like I said football will be here too. I'm curious to see where all these different sports fall in line in the pecking order, right? You got your diehard fans in every sport, but you know, when you kind of have the different options, I'm curious where everyone's uh, eyeballs go to. So it'll be interesting here in the next few weeks as sports continues to go. I mentioned the NFL uh, hard knocks, man, I can't get enough of that. I'm one of those football behind the scenes degenerates, if you will, uh, with the hard knocks, Los Angeles, focusing on both the chargers and the Rams. I watched the episode on Tuesday night, again, episode two of five. And for me, it just brings, I don't know, brings football a little closer, brings the season a little closer. Now, as I've said before, a lot of things could change once they start playing games. Uh, like I said, with some of the other sports, if, if there's a little too bit too too much uh, off the field stuff, we'll say brought to the field, then that could change a lot of opinions. But for now, I'm looking forward to the NFL and uh, hopeful that it gets going here very very soon. Well, guys, one other thought I had today is, you know, it's important to choose good friends in your life, and I think we're taught that at a very young age. That is something that I'm extremely grateful 
from my experiences at Rio Hondo Prep, that that was kind of a constant lesson, whether it was in youth sports or when I was in junior high or in high school, it was always like, you need to uh, choose good friends. You need to um, be around good people, have good influences. I mean, think of it. That's a constant theme from your parents and then usually your teachers and coaches as well. I'm extremely grateful. I heard that uh, constant lesson for me in uh, my days at Real Hondo Prep. Mr. Davis, who's on today, he was a teacher at Real Hondo Prep again in, when I was in eighth grade, when I was in uh, junior, senior year of high school. And it, it wasn't just teachers or coaches, but it was just a constant theme around my growing up. And, you know, I look now as I'm uh, into my adulthood, well into my mid thirties, if you will. And I think that idea still needs to always be in your head. I mean, what do you get out of your friends? Do you get, is it somebody that is a bad influence? Is it somebody that makes your life better in some way? And it might be completely di- make your life better one way in one area of your life than it does another friend with your area of your life. You know, maybe someone makes you a better, uh, makes you a better friend. Maybe somebody makes you uh, better at your job because you guys share a common job. I mean, I think it's important to be around people that are a good influence on you. And I think if you flip that around, you can't always ask what you get out of your friends. You got to also ask what you do for your friends. I think that's important. Sometimes we want to look through the window and not in the mirror. And that's really important. That's something that I catch myself doing sometimes when I kind of think about all my different friends. I've talked to a lot of them on this program. I love thinking about what they're doing and all the great things. And I'm thinking, man, you know, we've been friends a long time. And I have to catch myself because, like I said, it's really easy to look at other people. You got to look internally. So I have to look at myself and say, when's the last time I've been a good friend to that person? When's the last time I've done something completely random for one of my good friends or just been there when they needed me. I'm not talking about, Hey, your buddies are hitting you up and saying, Hey, come out and come out with us, uh, you know, for the night, come out, you know, that's cool. And and you shouldn't say no to that very often because those days eventually end. And so you got to collectively gather those and be like, yeah, you know what? Hey, I'll see you guys for, for an hour or two. I don't always do it. Matter of fact, recently a couple of friends wanted me to come out and meet them, and I just I I passed up on it. I had some other things going on, but no, I didn't need permission or anything. It was just uh, just didn't work out. So, but I think the more you say no to good friends, as far as hanging out or doing something for them, or uh, I don't even I don't even know, just just being there. Um, yes, the less they're going to call you, and so you won't have the opportunities to say no down the road. So I think sometimes when you look at the friends you choose, the friends you make, what they do for your lives, you also have to look at what you do for them. I know I'm doing that every single day because you don't want to ever be around a friend or, or, uh, you know, choose friends that are going to do something really stupid. Like for instance, shoot at police because if they shoot at police and you're with them, guess what the police are going to do? They're going to return fire. They're going to return fire, and if you're in the general direction of where the bullet came from, you're going to be in harm's way. So that may or may not have happened recently, and people are discussing that, but that's a whole other story. It's more of an analogy than anything. You don't want to be around people 
that are going to shoot the first shot at police officers because then the return fire is going to come in. Anyway, I do think that being a good friend is important. Having that, uh, what's the golden rule? Treat others as you want to be treated. But I will say on that, you shouldn't expect to be treated a certain way. You shouldn't do things because you expect something in return. I'm a big Christmas gift guy. I love giving Christmas gifts. Sometimes they're cheap. Sometimes they're just, they're, they're, they could be anything. But I love getting something for a lot of different people in my life because I think of them during Christmas time. I'm a big Christmas guy. All right. If, if it's one day a year where I think of certain people, I mean, that, that's a, <laughs> there should be a lot more days a year. Uh, but that's just me. That said, I don't expect anything in return. And you shouldn't. Just because you treat people the way you want to be treated doesn't mean you should expect that thing. I think some people do things just to get something in return, and that shouldn't be the case. It's kind of looking at uh, friends and, and kind of what you do for them and what they do for you. My closest friends uh, that I have, I could tell you right now, if I called them right now and I needed them, if I desperately needed them, they'd, they'd be on their on their way in five minutes. And the only reason it wouldn't be sooner is because they probably got to put shoes on or, uh, or, you know, tell their significant other that they got to go somewhere. But uh, those are the kind of friends I am very blessed with in my life. And I have a lot of them. I've talked to a ton of them on the show. Some of them I don't talk to enough and I'd like to talk to more. But I think uh, when you're talking to kids at a young age, choose your friends wisely, uh, be around uh, good people, be around people that have a positive effect on your life. I think that's, that continues and that never goes away. No matter what age you are, I think that's important and extremely valuable and something I continue to do as I grow for, as I grow in, in my walk of life and uh, definitely not looking for anything in return, but I think it doesn't cost anything to be a good friend. And I think in these past few months, maybe we have, uh, we've kind of forgotten that a little bit. So hopefully we can move forward and do a better job of that here as a society with all the different friends we have. Doesn't mean we got to agree on things all the time, but I do think that, uh, you know, you, you chose to be friends for a reason, right? At some point in your life. So it's important to keep, if you're going to keep that friendship going, uh, it's a, it's a two way street and you gotta, you gotta definitely put in the effort or, uh, you know, the effort will, will stop coming in the other direction. Anyway, those are my two cents this morning. Thought I'd mention it was something that was on my mind, just about uh, good friends, choosing friends, making friends later in life that you never thought you'd be you'd be friends with. It, it's a whole different uh, subject, a whole different podcast, I think, that we can get into here uh, very soon. And I'm going to write it down and put it aside for now because I do think it could really stimulate some good discussions amongst uh, a couple guests here down the road. But let's get to our guest of the day, Mr. Dan Davis. He's someone, again, who not only somebody that I trust with getting financial advice, but he's somebody that I uh, very much remember from my childhood, from my adolescence, I guess you say, in eighth grade and high school years. Somebody that uh, I was one of my favorite teachers, quite honestly. I've said that to a, a, about a couple different people on this show, but I really do mean it. Mr. Davis and a, a lot of other people, I think, if they asked or if you asked them, they would say the same thing. So Mr. Davis, great guy. Looking forward to you guys hearing him chat about uh, Real Hondo Prep a little bit and also some financial advice and some uh, investment talk, if you will. So we will take a quick break and then we'll jump right into it with our interview with Dan Davis. <music> 
Okay, joining us today is Dan Davis. Mr. Dan Davis was one of my former teachers, not only in eighth grade, but also in high school. And uh, I've got to be honest, one of my favorite teachers, I think a lot of other students would say that. We'll talk a little bit about uh, life in the classroom, but mainly today we're going to talk about some financial uh, advising, financial planning. Uh, Mr. Davis is a registered investment advisor uh, with Primerica. He will talk to us uh, and educate us a little bit about uh, all, all the different things he's involved in. And uh, you know what? We'll also talk about uh, one of his clients being me. So I am uh, talking to someone who I trust and uh, has given me some great advice. So let's get right into it. Mr. Dan Davis, welcome to the program. Hi, Matt. <laughs> Good talking with you. Good. It's been a long time. You know, what's funny. Uh, I'm going to try. Oh, you are Mr. Davis to me. So uh, that's how I'm going <laughs> to refer to you. But, you know, every now and then uh, I would send you a text message or a phone call or something kind of getting some advice on a, on a financial move I would do, whether it would be talking about debt, whether it be talking about uh, some of the uh, things you've set me up in already as far as like a Roth IRA and everything. But uh, what can you tell me about, I guess, how you got involved in uh, this investment advising and, and financial planning, kind of what, what took you in this direction uh, at kind of the beginning of your ride here? Well, back at the beginning of our, you know, when I was, right after I got married and we had our first child, um, somebody called me up on the phone once and said, Hey, um, my name is so-and-so and, -so and uh, um, you were recommended to me by, uh, by one of your friends. It happened to be, uh, you know, uh, the Mosers. And they said that I ought to give you a call. And I said, oh, brother, great. Um, <laughs> because that, those are always like, you know, pitches for sales calls and things like that. And I, and I really did try to dismiss it. You know, I tried to put her off. I was like, well, I can't, you know, I sure can't talk to you right now. Um, when can I talk to you? Well, I don't know. And I don't know if I can talk to you next week or the week after. I am so busy, which is not true at all. But uh, she persisted, and uh, because she was recommended by somebody we knew, I went ahead and met with her. And she turns out to be one of the best friends that, that my wife and I have ever had. And um, she worked in the industry. She was, you know, helped us get started with understanding how insurance and investments work and what we needed to do. And uh, little by little, I just gravitated toward that because she kept encouraging me to find out a little bit more about it. She goes, you know, you could do this on a part-time basis even if you yeah. want to, and you don't have to quit your job. And you can learn a lot and help set yourself up a little bit better. And I said, okay. So that, that grew into, you know, what's turned out to be a 19 year relationship with the company. And, you know, now I'm doing it all the time and marketing everything that we offer. So that's how it, it just happened because a friend of ours referred her to me and she convinced me that it was a good way to go. Well, you know, this isn't something that's necessarily that attractive to talk about. Most people don't like talking about money, especially in taking their money that they currently have and putting it into something uh, that is the future. I mean, it's not most people, uh, especially younger people in their twenties, uh, you know, it's like, no, this is the money I've worked for. Uh, I'm, I'm not worried about that 30 years from now, 40 years from now, that that's, that's a long time away. So uh, how do you, how do you, I guess, off the bat here, kind of pitch the importance of, uh, of your line of work and kind of really getting people interested in it. First of all, you're right that it's not something that people want to talk about. Um, if you want to, like, when I meet with people, sometimes they have considerable assets, which they would really rather not tell me. 
talking about. And sometimes they're in a lot of trouble. They don't have assets. They have debt. They have a lot of other things that they'd rather not tell me about. So first of all, they, they have to get over, you have to get over, I have to get over facing the reality. You know, you have to deal with these things. They're going to, you're going to have to deal with them eventually. And it's way better to understand them and deal with them at the beginning. And so um, this concept of time is something that I wanted to, to talk about. I can remember um, as a junior high kid, you know, being told by my coach, you know, Jim Smith was my coach. And he would say, you know, you're not going to believe how fast time flies by. You got to make the right decisions in your life. You got you to get yourself straightened out now because you're going to blink and you're going to be much older. And when you're a kid, that just doesn't register. Yeah. <laughs> and what I found out is that when you're in your 20s and even in your 30s, sadly, it still doesn't register. You're not really in tune with this whole concept of how time just flies by. Now I understand it because, you know, I, I was in a conversation not too long ago and I said, you know, I, I casually talk about things now that happened 45 or 50 years ago. And I, and I think, how, how did that happen? When did I, you know, when, when did this happen? How, how could I feel like these things just happened yesterday, but now here it is all this time later, this time has passed. So it's true. You can't see it. You can't feel it until you get to about to the place where I am and you realize, you know, wow, I'm in the fourth quarter. I mean, really? <laughs> I'm one years old. So this is like the fourth quarter for me. And that first three quarters, I, I, I don't know how they got by so fast. And I think if you talk to anybody on my age group, they have kids, some of them have grandchildren now, they just shake their heads. And they're just like, how did this happen? When did all this time fly by? And so I want to use that idea to help people understand that when it comes to some of the basic things they need to do with their money, the time is just going to disappear. You know, you're going to work and you're going to work. And statistics show that most people have jo uh, eight or nine jobs, at least in their lives. You're going to go from job to job to job if you are an employee. And you're going to make these paychecks and they're going to be gone and you're just going to find yourself my age unless you have some kind of a plan um, to have some money set aside because the day will come when you physically won't be able to go out and do all the things that you're doing and you will need to have some money put aside. And so that's the, that's the time money concept. You need to understand time and money. I, I think it's really valuable and really important because just think about, you know, for, for us uh, younger guys and, and to talk about your time thing, your time concept, uh, I mean, I'm 35 now and I talk about high school and, and even junior high and that's like 20 something years ago now. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that, wait a minute. That was, that was yesterday. That was five years at most. Uh, but anyway, so time does fly and you really do start to have to uh, invest for later. And just think about guys listening to this you know, anytime you've wanted to take a trip or to maybe make a purchase, having some money set aside in a savings account, not necessarily, you know, uh, way down the road, like retirement money, but even little things like that, you, you, you're happy that you had something set aside just for something that immediate. Now we're talking about way down the road, way down the line. And, and so I think uh, we don't always think that's, that's that soon, but it does come quickly, as you've just mentioned. Right. 
And, you know, you talked about having some money set aside for a purchase that you'd like or, or maybe for a vacation or you're going to go mm-hmm. on a weekend somewhere with friends. Um, I, I'm, I think about things like um, replacing tires and fixing refrigerators. Yes. Um, it, it, you're either going to have the money to do it or you'll, or you'll, you'll charge it. You'll mm-hmm. use some, you know, some form of credit to pay for these basic things, and that's deadly. So having both long-term investment for what I was talking about where you're older and you just can't quite put in the hours you used to put in is one thing. And also having some emergency money where you can replace the refrigerator if you need to, where you can get the water heater fixed if you need to, because someday water heaters and refrigerators and kids braces are going to replace, you know, going somewhere with your friends for two days. And um, you really will need to have something set aside for that. Yeah. Oh, there's no doubt about it. And, and Mr. Davis, you are a teacher of mine and, uh, you know, one of many people that, that I trust. And when you originally talked to me after I graduated high school, I, I wasn't making like anything. I was, you know, a couple hundred bucks a week, maybe with what the stuff I was doing. And you kind of told me, uh, kind of pitch this idea about a Roth IRA. It's good for your future. You can't touch this money till you're 59 and a half. And as a 19 year old, I think I was, I was like, why are you talking to me about this? Cause uh, that's 40 years from now. And, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not making hardly any money now. I can't afford to put 25 bucks or a 50 bucks a month or whatever it was into something, which I think was the minimum. Uh, but I started that. I said, well, why not? And I found a way to, to do that. And I've continued to do that. Now that I'm 35, I put a lot more into it now than I, <laughs> that I did when I was uh than I did when I was 19. So it's something I've, I've stuck with and I'm really glad that I've done it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, these, uh, these tools that, that are available to us, these investment vehicles that have tax advantages, um, you need to take advantage of them and you need to take advantage of them early. Um, you know, I've met recently with some of the people that are graduates uh, of our school. And they're working now, uh, some are married, some are single, some have kids, some don't, but they're all trying to do something now in their, most of them in their 20s, to get the ball rolling with this. They can't max them out right now. They're not, mm-hmm. they can't afford right now to put everything that you're allowed to put in, but they're putting something in. And they're building, uh, you know, they're building something and increasing it every year and like I said, they're going to blink and they're going to be 55. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like it now, but it's just going to happen. And so when it, when it does happen, they're going to be ready. They'll have some choices. Instead of being forced into situations that they don't like, they'll have choices. Yeah. And for somebody like me, I, I'm, I've been an independent contractor for a long time now. So I don't have uh, any, as of now, anything set up for the future outside of some of the investments I've made uh, for the future. So for people like me, uh, at least currently, I I hope to get involved in something that has a little bit better retirement and benefit situation here uh, very soon. Uh, But I think some of the investments and things you've talked about uh, have been beneficial to me. And I know there's other people like me who maybe not do what I do, but are in a similar situation. And I think the important thing to remember is it's not about the amount right off the bat. It's about just getting in, getting into the game, basically, and then going from there. Yeah. Uh, we all have habits. Mm-hmm. Um, some of us have good habits. Some of us have habits that still need work. 
And um, one of the habits is you just instinctively put this small amount of money away every month and it becomes part of your routine. And then actually you stop thinking about it. Yes. You go about your life, you know, it's there, but you know, you're not accessing it anyway. So it just grows and you get on with your life. Once it becomes a habit, you're okay. If you're in and out and in and out and it's never a habit, then you'll never really be in. And so, you know, to your credit, yeah, you got in when you were very young, you stayed in, you're still in. And, uh, you know, I would encourage anybody, everybody that's an adult, legal adult, 18 and up, no matter how old you are, you know, you could be even my age and, and uh, you got to do something. That's yes. Someplace. Uh, and there's no, there's never a time when it's okay to just say, oh, forget it. I can't do this. Oh, no. Yeah. There's no, no time uh, too early. I mean, you got to be an adult, but there's no time too early or too late really to, to make some of these decisions. So if you could, Mr. Davis, could you talk about, uh, I guess, a couple options for, for some of the things that you do, uh, whether it be people in their 20s or an older people, kind of uh, what, what are the different options for the different age groups or kind of what are the different services you provide? Okay. Um, real quick, I'm going to jump right into that. I want to mention... Um, a book that a lot of people have heard of. A lot of you have seen it on the shelf. Some of you maybe even have read it. It's called The Millionaire Next Door by someone named Stanley. Uh, he and another author got together and they did you know, years of research on people who have accumulated at least a million dollars for retirement. And it turns out that almost statistically, almost all of them are just people that live up and down the streets where, where we live. Um, not people that inherited money, not professional athletes, not entertainers, not highly paid executives, just the people that like live across the street from you um, and down the street, your aunts and uncles, your grandparents, people that you might not know it, but they started doing this, these retirement accounts into mutual funds when they were young. And by the time they were done working, they'd accumulated a million dollars in retirement savings. So it, it's mostly people, it's that millionaire next door concept, Dave Ramsey calls them everyday millionaires. They're just people that live their lives, but they were very careful about not going into debt and not overspending and becoming, you know, debtors their whole lives. And so they were able to start putting money away and they consistently did it. And you don't think of them as millionaires. When we, when we think of millionaires, we think of people that show it, you know, uh, yeah. all the stuff that they have that everybody can see. But the vast majority are just people that, that were in the workplace all their lives who retired at a reasonably early retirement age and had the money they needed for retirement. And so that happens through, now to, to go straight into what you're talking about, that happens through, for most people, through retirement accounts. It's either an individual retirement account, like a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA, or in some cases they work someplace, like, as you mentioned, where their employer has set up a retirement plan where they work. There are lots of different kinds. And I think for today, I'm not going to go into all the different kinds of things that employers can set up for their employees, but you've heard of 401ks and things like 401ks where you designate a certain amount of your paycheck every time to go into that investment. And in a lot of cases, the employers will put something in too. So whether it's individual retirement accounts or something offered through work, you should take advantage of whatever is available to you. So if you don't have the 401k, you definitely should be into the individual retirement account for yourself. Um, and I hope, so I hope that answers your question. That's it. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, basically for the vast majority of people, especially in your age group, 
it's IRAs and Roth IRAs, um, and overwhelmingly Roth IRAs because of the tax advantages. For, for those who don't know, can you explain uh, what the two, what those are, uh, okay. the IRAs and the two differences in them? Okay, one of them, uh, they both have tax advantages. The IRS allows you to get some, um, get a little bit of a break for putting money into them. Uh, traditional IRA is for people who, um, who have a tax burden. Like every time taxes roll around, they have to pay. Um, sometimes they have to pay substantially. So if they're under the income limits, they can put money into a traditional IRA and they can use part of that money that they are putting in as a deduction for their taxable income. They still have to pay taxes on it when they use it later after it's grown. They have to pay taxes on the growth, but it is a way for people to, um, to put some money away and get a tax break at the same time. That tax break is like right now, it's every April. Um, a Roth IRA is different because you're just taking money straight out of your checking account after you've already had everything deducted from your check at work. And you put money into a Roth IRA and you grow it the same way through uh, investing in mutual funds. And when you take it out someday at 60 or 65 or whatever age you start accessing it, it's tax-free. So for most people in this country who work, it makes a lot more sense to put money into a Roth IRA to get the tax-free benefit later. And a lot of people don't have that much of a tax burden anyway. You know, over half of people get refunds or don't pay. So a Roth IRA is an advantage. It's the best tool for people Mostly people, I'm going to say like you and your friends, even though I don't know all your friends, some of your friends may need other help in other ways. Yeah. Um, that's, but those are, that's, they both have tax breaks. One is kind of a nice tax break now, and one is a tax break later. So as, a, as someone, you know, naive people who don't know about this, what's to, what, what about uh, if someone looks at this like a, I know it's not a savings account, but what if somebody were to do that? They looked at, oh, I put all this money away. Okay, now I now I need to buy a house, or now I want to pull something out for some for a wedding or a vacation or something. I mean, I know that's frowned upon, uh, but kind of can you give us the details as to why that's not a good idea? Okay, so uh, the IRS actually allows you to take ten percent out of a Roth IRA without any penalties for the down payment of a, a home purchase. Okay. Yeah. If you're, if you're getting a first mortgage and you want to take some money out of your retirement to help with the down payment, you can do that. They only let you take 10%. So imagine that you have $50,000 in your IRA. Mm -hmm. You take $5,000 out and put that towards your down payment. In most cases, that's not much of a chunk of a down payment. But some people do it because they just need that little kick to kind of get them over the hump of what they want to put down. Um, I'm not a real estate expert. I'm not a loan expert. I don't claim to be. Um, that's coming maybe by next year. I'll be a little bit more of a loan expert for you. <laughs> right now I'm not marketing loans, but you got to consider that when you take money out of an IRA, it's usually going to be a, a pretty small amount. And if you access it for other things besides the down payment on a house, which is, a, which is allowed, you're just basically going to take a 25% hit. The IRS will have to take a bite out of it because they don't want you to start in with these tax advantaged accounts and then start spending them. Yeah. So the, there, there are pretty hefty penalties for doing it. Um, and then another thing I would mention here is if you have a major problem with debt, let's say you've accumulated a lot of uh, consumer debt 
it's probably better to attack the consumer debt, get that out of the way. Because what we found is people who are trying to pay off consumer debt and invest at the same time, they always end up stopping their investments. They always end up pulling money out of their investments, taking penalties. It, it's, it's just not smart. If you have a major debt crisis, that has to be addressed first. But I hope I answered your question. Yeah, that. no, that, that absolutely did. And I'm someone who, who has struggled with that. I was able to uh, climb my way out of it and it wasn't always easy, uh, but I was able to continue doing my investments here uh, because I do think it's important. I'm a guy that does look forward, whether it be five years, 10 or 20 years. So I know that it's beneficial for me. Uh, I just kind of wanted uh, people to know that, you know, if you were to pull out of your investment, pull out of your IRA early, there would be a penalty. And it's probably best, as you said, probably 10 minutes ago, this is money you need to forget about. You need to put aside and just forget about it. Let it grow until you're 59 and a half and, and then get it tax-free rather than pull it out early uh, for a hefty penalty from the IRS. Now that said, we all know life happens. There are emergencies. There are, there are extreme cases where if, if it's absolutely necessary and you're willing to take that, that penalty, you can, you can access your money. Um, but for probably the most important thing is to just really try to set it aside and not worry about it. Yeah. So the, the way that we deal with that is we have the emergency fund concept, which is um, if you have a limited amount of money uh, and when I, I, if I said limited amount of money, hundred dollars a month, you say, Dan, I just, hundreds, we, that's it. I've got a hundred dollars a month to put toward this right now. We can't do it anymore. And I accept that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put half of it into an emergency fund and half of it into an investment. Maybe depending on your debt situation, I'm just going to say, let's attack your debt. We've got to pay this off. If you don't have a huge debt situation, let's build up the emergency fund along with your modest investments right now so that when the brakes do go out or when the refrigerator does stop working or whatever it is, you'll have something there and you won't go back into debt. So that's how we deal with that. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. And again, you know, most people, when you have your money, I want to go buy this food. I want to go buy that television. I want to go, I want to take my money and go buy something with it. Or if I am saving up for something, you know, anytime anybody gets ahead, especially in this time right now, this, these past few months of lockdown, unemployment, uh, just small businesses really taking a hit. I mean, people don't have extra money to be spending uh, or investing, however you want to say it. So what would you say to people that are kind of struggling right now uh, as far as managing their money? Well, first of all, I want to say that I, I just, I ache with, uh, it, it really hurts and makes me sad to think about how people have been hurt mm-hmm. by uh, the decisions that have been made in the last several months. Um, we're sticking to, you know, the things that you wanted to talk about with me, but you brought this up. And so I'm not, I'm not going to wax political. I'm just going to tell you about how I feel. Of course. Um, people have really been hurt. Uh, people that own small businesses, especially, and people that work at those small businesses. You know what? I, my answer to your original question is I really don't, I really don't know what to say <laughs> to people who find themselves in that situation. I mean, we're going to, you're going to see a lot of people who lose most, if not all, of what they have, and they're going to find themselves trying to start over again somehow. And the whole thing is, it's, it's just so um, hard to accept and hard to, hard to um, uh, relate. 
um, if you're, you're an independent contractor, I'm an independent contractor. So, you know, the whole thing kind of whatever our activity is and whatever we're able to, to get out and do is we're kind of responsible for, you know, it didn't, we, nobody came to me and said, sorry, we have to shut down now. But a lot of people had to experience that. And so I, I don't know. Um, I think people are resourceful. A lot of people have already shifted gears. They're, they tried to find other jobs. They've done all of these other, uh, you know, uh, gig economy uh, positions, uh, yeah. all those things that are out there. Everybody's scrambling to try and do something. And all I can say is, you know, just you keep scrambling and keep trying to do something. Um, you know, my company is, uh, we've actually hired more people in the last four months than we've ever hired in any four month period in, in 42 years because so many people saw the writing on the wall, thought that they were going to be in trouble and said, you know, well, I, I have this Primerica rep. I know this guy who sold me insurance. I, I have this guy that handles my investments. Maybe, you know, I'm going to talk to him. And so we've actually taken a lot of people on who are either in training or already licensed with us trying to you know do something extra to get a little something else going on. So I think that's an example of what people, it's about the only thing you can do is try to find something that you can get into to bolster your income. Um, but for the people who have completely lost all their income and have lost businesses, I don't know what to say. It's just a, it's, it's horrible. It's, it's absolutely horrible. It's a tragedy. I think it's like a crime against them that took place all for reasons that I think we're going to end up finding out probably did not need to. Need to I, I, I'm with you. I am right there with you. Trust me. Um, I, I just, you hear from small business owners who have put their whole life into these businesses and I hate hearing, you know, you hear the term life savings. Oh, I have to, had to go into my life savings which is just terrible because you should have you should have your savings account that you're saving money on, you know, for the, for that rainy day or whatever. Um, but you shouldn't have to go into, you know, uh, the funds that you've, that you've put aside and invested in for the future. Cause it's not the future yet. It's, it's the present. So it's just been so sad. And there's countless people, especially here in California that have really struggled. And so I was curious about how uh, people who are struggling uh, with, with uh, all money now into, you know, how do they, how do they move forward in investing and everything? It doesn't sound like it's necessarily possible for everyone right now. Well, we've had, I've had some people who have increased their uh, contributions into their retirement accounts during the period. And I've had some people who have suspended uh, putting money into their accounts during this period because they were forced to, it just depends on, you know, where they are in their lives. Um, you mentioned life savings for some people, life savings is $2,000. I know. <laughs> You know, for some people, it's $15 million. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, we have to consider that everybody's situation is a little bit different and don't necessarily want to put everybody into the same miserable basket because not everybody is there, but a lot of people are. Too, too many people are and too many people are, you know, they're going to face a really difficult recovery period, I think. Because um, starting over again is always hard. Oh, man, especially as you get older. Yeah, as you mentioned with time. <laughs> weight you know how hard it is to start over so oh my goodness yeah i know uh well that's you bring up a good point there about suspending uh mm -hmm. your, your your contributions to, yeah. to your account so there is another option if times do get tough you don't have to absolutely shut it all down cash out you don't have to do all that you can you can take a time out if you will to yeah. kind of wait out okay now when things get better a year or two i can get back to my contributions yeah. You can suspend your contributions um, and, and reopen them again a month later if you want to, or you can okay. suspend them and reopen them a year later. Um, 
you can always stop contributing if you want. You've got money in your account. Your account is alive. Nothing happens to it. You know, remember, cashing out these kinds of accounts um, also creates a, a tax situation that a lot of people don't anticipate. I'm not a CPA, and I'm not supposed to talk about taxes. But all I can tell you is cashing out retirement accounts creates a tax burden for you that you may not be prepared to deal with. So that's another reason to be really careful about that and not do it until you've talked to somebody. That's a, yeah, that's a very good point. Well, I think having that option there, suspending, you know, uh, taking some time off if necessary. We all know things happen, especially these past few months, uh, that contribution levels change and this and that. Because kind of explaining it to to people uh, like me who don't know much, the whole IRA concept is something that grows exponentially. Is that would that be fair to say? Yeah. So just to give your your uh, your audience a little bit of an example. Um, and this is taking into account a person who contributes to their IRA. They contribute every month, whatever their amount happens to be, and they don't interrupt it. So, you know, the numbers that I give you in a second are going to be all people who consistently did it over a period of time and didn't interrupt it, didn't cash out, didn't suspend. They just kept putting money in. Um, in and, and one other thing I have to say, this is part of my legal responsibility here, of course, is anything I say about past performance of anything I have to say is not a promise of anything that's going to happen in the future. Understood. No, you know, we, we know pretty much over a long period of time, how much the markets return. We also know that every once in a while, the markets take a tumble and we can't predict when that's going to happen. So there are things you can do to protect yourself in those situations. But when I talk about returns, you can't go out and say, Hey, I heard Dan Davis say, if you put this much money away for the period of time, this is what you get. Yeah. Because that's all based on, on past performance. And um, even though it's really, it's been reliable, we know how it all works. You also have to realize that markets do go up and down and they go up and down when we don't necessarily know they're going to. This COVID thing is a good example of that. A year ago, nobody had any idea that something like this could happen. Never crossed our minds, right? But then it happened. And so every once in a while, things do happen. So, um, just to, just so your listener has an idea, um, you know, right, right now, uh, a typical, uh, a person your age could put, uh, $500 a month away into an IRA. The IRS will let you do that. Okay. So if you put $500 a month away, you're investing $6,000 a year. And, um, if you were able to do that and just get a, um, 9% return, which is the number we like to use. Um, that's actually the number they make us use. We're not supposed to talk about bigger than 9%, right? <laughs> Even though the market historically has returned quite a bit more than 9% annual return, we'll use 9% as the figure. Understood. To be compliant. That, uh, you know, that would grow to something in the neighborhood of between eight and $900,000 over a 30-year period. Wow. So most 19-year-olds can't put $500 a month into an IRA. But you know what? 35-year-olds should be that should be kind of their target they should be thinking about maxing it out not putting fifty dollars a month in mm -hmm. so you can put any amount of money in, in you know whatever you want but i'm using the maximum amount just to illustrate what happens when people max out an ira and they do it consistently and i'm using a 30-year period um if you're a little bit older and you can put in 550 dollars a month that same 30-year period would yield you something in the neighborhood of nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars in in savings so the magic number really though, and I'm going to talk about it because this isn't a sales pitch, right? We're just, this is just you and your friends and me talking. Mm -hmm. um, 
historically, over the long haul of the uh, history of the stock market, it's more like 11.5%. Now, some years it gets more than that, some years it gets less than that, some years it's not even close to that, but 11.5% is a historical average. And if you use the 11.5%, that same $500 a month is going to yield something around a million and a half dollars. Um, so when I talked about that millionaire next door concept, the average people up and down the street that retired and they're doing just fine, <laughs> they did it probably for 40 years and they maybe didn't, weren't able to do $500 a month. They did a lesser amount, but for a longer period of time. Because a lot of people um, do work for 40 years. It's just a fact. Yeah. And um, if you were down to the $200 a month figure, which may sound a little bit better to some of you and your friends, um, even to people my age, $200 a month, you know, we could probably do that, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, that same 30-year time period is going to yield something a um, little bit shy of $350,000. And if you're using the 11.5% figure, it's, it's over $550,000. So it's the kind of money you said, if, if, if it's the kind of money you can just forget about, that's the magic of it. You do it for 30 years, you do it for 40 years, even if you're using a smaller amount. And by the time you actually figure out that you can't go put in the 40 hours a week anymore and you have to... <laughs> have to take a break you're close to or at retirement um there'll be something there for you and you'll have some choices and you won't just be forced into a lifestyle uh that you don't like so um those are those are just general numbers like i yeah. said no guarantee of future returns and all that stuff <laughs> uh, that's what it is i mean that's, that's just what it is and um i would encourage anybody whether they're 19 or 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 59 uh, if you're not doing something at all, uh, we should talk about doing something. Yeah. And, and again, if you're young and don't have much money, like I did, I didn't, I really, I'm dead serious. There were days I made less than 200 bucks a week. And, uh, you know, for me to start it, I was at 50 bucks a month for a long time yeah. till probably my mid twenties. And I think the, the, what you explained to me was getting in was the main thing because when you're 19, you know, 59 and a half is 40 years roughly. And one other question I had, Mr. Davis, about 59 and a half is when you can collect, right? But you don't have to pull it out and it'll continue to grow from that point or no? Right. It continues to grow. Um, you don't have to uh, pull it out, but you do have to pull it out. The funny number that the IRS uh, set was 70 and a half. I, I never quite understood this half, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I tell people 71, you know, when you're 71, the IRS is going to make you start taking money from retirement accounts. They recently changed that rule. Uh, right now it's either 72 or 73 and possibly going up again. Um, because many times people who've accumulated a lot of retirement savings, they have several retirement vehicles. They have money in more than one place and they don't want to take it out. They would prefer to let it continue to compound. Yeah. And um, the IRS has always forced us, you know, at 71, 70 and a half to take it out. But they've extended that a little bit. And it, I believe it's going to be extended again. Um, and then depending on the election, it'll probably be extended again. So that it, you can leave it there longer if you choose to. Now, at 70 and a half, you're saying, do you have to start bringing out a portion of it? Or can you, do you have to pull all of it out? No, you, you, you bring out a portion of it. Okay, every every year or something? Yeah, you could pull it all out at once, but the tax ramifications of that would be bizarre. <laughs> so you, um, you, there's a formula that the IRS uses. I'm not going to go into the formula, but there's a formula they use based on your age, 
how much you need to take out every year of your retirement. So you said earlier about it being tax-free when you pull it out, but if you pull out a, a bigger percentage of it, it could no, be taxes? With, with the Roth IRA, you're fine. Okay, okay. With the, uh, with the traditional IRA and almost every other investment vehicle, it's all taxable. All the growth okay. is taxable, yeah. Gotcha, that makes sense. That's, yeah, that's why I think uh, when we discussed it, I, I went the Roth IRA route, which I, I think a lot of people do as well for that reason. Well, that's comforting to know. I don't quite do the 500. That's a little steep for me. I think I'll get there very soon. Uh, right. that, that's the goal. As soon as I work out some other financials and get a, maybe a little more steady job here during this crazy time we're in. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I think a, a few hundred is definitely something people can do. And again, anything, just getting started is, is huge. Um, I didn't realize it 500, you said 500 and then 550. What was the max? Uh, right now, the, the, you can do, um, depending on your age. So oh, okay. You could do 500 a month. People who are uh, 60 and above have a slightly higher amount that they're allowed to put in. It's called, oh, catch okay. it's called the catch up. Well, it sure sounds nice to, uh, you know, the, the idea of continuing to do this and put money into your account that in your 60s or 70s, you know, you could really uh, have some serious money that you're sitting on, uh, all because you just started putting a little bit away every month. So uh, I think that is something everybody can understand, uh, regardless of your financial situation or your uh, financial knowledge, we'll say. Right. Oh, man. Well, great stuff, Mr. Davis. I appreciate that. Uh, obviously, educating, informing people. Um, let, let, let's go into a little bit of other things here for a second. Uh, Mr. Davis, you were, you were a teacher at Rio Hondo Prep for a long time. I had the opportunity to be in your class in not only eighth grade, but also in high school uh, with some history classes, some uh, poli-sci, we'll say, uh, and government. Uh, but, but you were unique in the sense that you were someone involved at Rio Hondo Prep that did not graduate from Rio Hondo Prep. And that's, you just don't see that very often. Most people who are there were involved, you know, not, not to say you weren't involved. So tell me about kind of being uh, employed and, and working at Rio Hondo Prep when you weren't someone who graduated from there. Okay, so for Dan Lawrence and I are a fraternity of two. <laughs> we both graduated from high school right around the same time. He was, uh, I think Dan, I think Dan went to Woodland Hills um, but he had a connection to Care Youth League into Rio Hondo, and you know he was at a lot of activities. Um, he came to some uh, activity uh, academy functions. He came to games. I remember seeing Dan, you know, early on and back there at the same time that I was there. So I went to Rio Hondo Prep when I was in middle school and in ninth grade, um, sometimes known as eighth and a half grade or eight D, um, which is actually a podcast for another day. We'll do, the, we'll do the, the second eighth grade year concept as a whole other thing someday. I love Not it. Okay. So anyway, I, I spent three years at Rio Honda Prep, and my parents um, were divorced in 1972 when I was a freshman in high school. And, um, you know, about the only thing we could agree on was that I wasn't going to be going to Rio Honda Prep anymore. So <laughs> I went to uh, Monrovia High School, and uh, at first, you know, I was despondent. I was scared. I uh, went from this school that had like 60 people in it and the 20 people in my class uh, I knew very well to, um, you know, being a sophomore at Monrovia High, just one of a couple thousand people. And I didn't know anybody except for a few old Care Youth League guys that were around there. And um, 
it was kind of an overwhelming thing, and it took it was it took me a while uh, to adjust to it. But I did adjust to it. You know, um, I went to my classes. Um, I just I showed up. I did what I had to do. I have to say I wasn't really involved in extracurricular activities. I went there, went to school, went home, and most of my friends were the people that I knew at, at Rio Hondo Prep and then my old Care Youth League or my old BCL friends. And um, that would be it would be like Mr. Loomis that you know, Dan Kirby, Scott Weidman, Jim Key, Jim Hanna, um, around that age group, Joe Parker, Greg Bollinger, those were all the people that were kind of in my circle. And I, uh, you know, I kept going to academy functions. I kept going to all the games. I kept stats from Mr. Johnson at the basketball and football and baseball games. Um, I went to everything that I could go to. And I just kind of kept my ties there because I never, I never really formed any new, not any real friendships, real serious relationships with anybody at Monrovia High School. Um, I was just kind of there out of necessity. I did what I had to do. And um, they let me graduate early. Um, In my senior year, they let me test out of my classes so that I could uh, go on a trip. Summer trip left strangely early that year. Um, 1976, we had a 10-week boys trip and an eight-week girls trip right on top of each other. So the trip was really early in the month of May, uh, very beginning of May. And um, they, when my teachers knew what I was, you know, the opportunity I had to go on the trip with the Rio Hondo guys, um, were 10 weeks all over the country, all the things we'd get to do, they all, they had no problem with it. They just let me test out of their classes. Sure. Um, so from that point on, you know, I was in, and then I was in RHLA, um, you know, there should be some kind of an award with my name (laughs) on it for how long somebody can be in RHLA, how long you can go from, you know, your high school graduation to your college graduation date. We could call it the Daniel Davis chair of something. I don't know what you'd call it, but um, I was in RHLA for quite a while, as were some of my friends, Um, but we were busy, you know, we were working and we coached teams. We started new areas. We did everything. Oh, you you know what? That that brings up a point. So uh, I was a Glendora Gator uh, and Mr. Davis, if I'm not mistaken, it was you and Mr. Greg Bollinger who started uh, the Gators in, I'm not going to guess the year, 1980 something. Was it, was it not? Yeah, it's it's 1983. And uh, Craig Klingman, somebody that a lot of people who might listen to this would know (laughs) was, um, was there. And, uh, you know, I would say, Mr. Bollinger and Craig Klingman did all did the heavy lifting and all the yeoman work that it took. It's just like from the ground up. They deserve all the credit for doing all that stuff. I was there with them, mm-hmm. uh, but I, you know, I've always felt like it was really their thing, and I was just uh, kind of helping. Um, but the, the, you're right. It was '83. It was the Glendora Gators. We started at Stanton School in Glendora and um, played there a few years, and then we were able to move down to Wingate Park when a couple of other areas uh, got, you know, established Wingate Park as... The, so cool. Know, to be, yeah. Well, well as, a, as a proud Gator alum, I know a lot of Gators are really happy that you guys did that. Uh, Craig Klingman, I've seen him a few times. He, he officiated some high school football, I believe, and he and I crossed paths a few times and, and chatted a little bit. That was fun. Uh, man, the, the memory lane is, is a fun place sometimes. Uh, so how did you get involved in teaching? I mean, did, was that something you knew you wanted to do uh, or just kind of fell into it? 
Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was determined that I was going to be working at, at, at Rio Hondo Prep and um, and some role at Care Youth League. And I knew, I even knew back when I didn't know anything, that I probably wasn't going to be some famous coach, you know. <laughs> they weren't going to have any dinners where they said I was coach of the year or whatever. That's not, that wasn't going to happen. Um, I loved history and I actually, I, I liked school in general. You know, I, I really enjoyed learning, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good listener. I remember things. I'm a pretty fast reader and school suited me. And I, you know, that's kind of how I got through my Monrovia high time. I just kind of just did all that stuff and focused on that. And I, and I, and I was hoping I'd have a role, but my, my role would be teaching, you know, probably the guy who coaches a team and then fixes the sprinklers and stuff. I wasn't going to be able to do that because I'm no good at either one of those things. Um, I, I mean, I coached a lot of teams and I had some really good ones, but the really good ones were really good because the kids were so good. Um, not because I was such a brilliant coach. So I think teaching and staying in education and, and the, 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 the school atmosphere appealed to me. And uh, so, so did I sort of fall into it? Yes. But <laughs> I always knew that I wasn't going to be, uh, I wasn't going to be a big time coach. I was going to try to be a big time teacher. Classroom. Well, I, I can honestly say I speak for uh, a few other people that really enjoyed your classes. And uh, one thing you did for a long time was you taught the eighth grade for a long time. And uh, our class was, I think, 1998. And we had a very distinct group of guys, very unique group of guys. And, you know, eighth grade is tough because you throw in the whole, you know, adolescent and, you know, everyone's maturing this and that. So you're dealing with an interesting group of, of young people. And I think it suited you very well because you were, you had a great sarcasm. <laughs> you, 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 uh, you kept, uh, you had this authority presence, but it wasn't over like overbearing. It was very just, uh, at least those were my memories. And I mean, I mean, what can you say? I know it's been a long time and they all kind of blend together, but what can you say about some of, uh, you know, our, our eighth grade class? I mean, some of the names, Chris Walver, Dave Bengachea, Nick Fuentes, Jan Balon. Of course, you know, uh, Bill Ritter, Devin Drain, me and Jordan Ross. But do you, do you remember that class specifically? Yeah, I do. And I, and I, uh, we, I, we talked about this briefly another time and I, you know, there are a couple of classes that I, I just remember, um, First of all, being challenging in a way because, you know, you have to keep some semblance of order. You have to have, <laughs> it, it is school. It's supposed to be school. So you have, there are certain things you have, you have there's some basic things you have to get done. Um, and some classes, it's really easy because everybody's so soft and pliable. And some classes, it's, a, it's just a battle every day because every, your class is full of characters. And um, your class is one of those classes, you know, the... Uh, uh, you mentioned Dave and Chris. I, the way I characterized it earlier with you was those guys kept me, uh, they cracked me up. I mean, they kept me off my game as much as they could. And they were hysterical. They were just really funny guys. And, um, but not, not troublemakers. There's no, you know, they didn't hurt anybody. They never did any, you know, they didn't do anything that harmed another person. But they sure could consume the time. And so my battle was always, how am I going to, get anything done in this class with these people. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of an example where we, 
where when we took a trip once, you know, one of our Sacramento trips, you guys played some baseball games. Yes. Mr. Carson went along and he scheduled some games. So we're playing like Pony League teams and stuff. And I remember we were up in, uh, we were up in a Royal Grande playing a Pony League team up there. And it was a very late night game. Um, the girls all went to a, went to McClintock's Steakhouse. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> donated to the class. And so I took the girls and their leader uh, to the Steakhouse and that, I said, get anything you want. So we were there for a while and we had fun and we ate our steaks and we went back to the motel and left the girls there. And I decided to go down to the ballpark where the boys were playing. And I got there. It was really late at night. It was cold and it was foggy, but the game was still going on. I was like in the fourth inning or something. I was, I'm going to sit here and watch this in the cold, but I stayed. And one of the things I noticed was that David Bingochea was playing left field. Every inning I looked out there, it seemed like he was like, further over the horizon he was it's like he was backing up yes well he wasn't backing up what he was doing was he was digging holes with his cleats and by the time the game was over there was a hole out there like a trench about knee deep so when you looked out in the field you saw dave out there you could barely see him but he was literally in a hole that was up to his knees because he dug it out with his own cleats that's what he did the whole game so while I don't know what he was focused on the game at all, and hopefully no balls got hit out there, but that's just an example of what I saw. You know, I finally realized what he was doing, and I went out there later and I saw the hole in the ground. I thought, well, first of all, I hope we don't get in trouble for this hole in the park. I hope nobody knows we did it. And the other thing was, it just cracked me up that this guy, like some kind of a badger or something, is out there <laughs> digging this hole. I, I made him and Chris, the punishment used to be in Sacramento, in a Sacramento trip in those days. The punishment was if you cut up enough, you have to stay with me. You got to go with the teacher. You're going to be in the teacher's room. You can't have fun. You don't get to be with your friends. You're not watching ESPN late at night. You're not do, you don't get to do any of that stuff. Your punishment is you got to go with the teacher. Now we don't do that because the teacher's not allowed to be in the room with the kids. So whatever. Yeah. Then um, we did it. And uh, of course, Dave and Chris, you know, because of their usual routine they were they were with me basically every night so, so i spent the week you know being entertained by dave and chris and and, and it occurred to me on the last night there we were up there in royal grande and i thought you know these guys are having more fun than all the other guys on this whole on this trip and i they're in the room with me this is supposed to be the punishment but i can't stop laughing i mean the stuff that they were pulling i just could not stop laughing and so you know david david had a really quick wit and Chris knew how just knew just what to say at the at the right time to chime in. So it was a fun it was fun. Yes, uh, it was a good experience. We had a lot of fun in those days. It seemed like we were really free to do kind of whatever we whatever we wanted to do, you know, within reason. And um, it, it all worked out well. You know, you guys graduated and everything was fine. But yeah, you are you were one of the classes that I remember because you just like it's just like this police lineup of characters just funny guys the usual suspects if you will <laughs> basically knew what to expect every day oh <laughs> yeah oh yeah it was it was a blast i remember dave digging that hole in left field because yeah as we were leaving they some people were hey your left fielder dug a hole uh chris wall i mean everyone we were all into drumming i said chris was a great drummer dave was so i remember guys always always in the back row like patting you know hitting the, the desk and everything and uh, you were always saying, you know, stop that. <laughs> you were, but we're eighth grade boys. I mean, what can you do? But I, I do remember that trip. The girls got to go to the steakhouse. 
we were like, we got to play baseball instead of going to the steakhouse. That sounds way cooler. But yeah. after the game, That's we Mr. did – thing. You, you hang that on Mr. Carson. I, I will hang it on uh, Todd Carson, one of the many things I have uh, on him. Uh, and so – but afterwards, we did get to – I think we went to like AMPM or something, and you gave a, a, like a bunch of money, like 15 bucks each. Like, was, have at it, guys. <laughs> the same thing. We had a lot of money given to us. Um, Mrs. Dowd, you know, I, I don't know if she's ever going to see this or no, but, you know, some – we had a lot of parents donating uh, we, and we had a company donate some serious money that year. So it's true. When the game was over, I said, okay, well, let's just go to AMPM because right next to the motel and we'll go to AMPM and you can get whatever you want. And boy, got, we bought some stuff at AMPM. Yeah. We loaded up, man. Too much good stuff was an understatement. Uh, well, on that trip, uh, on the way home, and you know what? It's an interesting trip. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite time. It's a, it's one week, five days of uh, eighth grade uh, boys and girls in the same bus uh, staying at the same like it, we got leaders of course and coaches and teachers and everything but it was just a great time you go up to Sacramento you tour uh, you know very historical uh, our, our California's capital and, and you start checking out you know learn a lot of history lessons and everything and it was on the way home uh, as we were driving down the five and we passed Six Flags Magic Mountain when a, a quote was said, which will live in infamy, uh, that uh, made you almost crash the bus, I'm sure. Yeah. And I, I guess I'll let you, I'll let you <laughs> finish it because I know you remember who said it and what it was. Well, it was, it was Sherry Carroll, <laughs> a member of our class. And um, Sherry, she stood up. She actually got on her feet. And she said, it sure does feel good to get back into California. Everybody on the bus got it. I mean, everybody knew. She was under the impression that we had been, you know, visiting some foreign country or something. And uh, that, that Sacramento, the state capital, was someplace else. And uh, it sure does feel good to be back in California. And uh, that's the all-time, I mean, that's got to be, that's got to be one of the best. <laughs> oh, yeah. You must have been so proud as a teacher in that moment. Yeah. I, I mean, definitely. I, I, that's when you ask yourself, you know, hey, why am I even doing this? <laughs> if there were 25 people there 24 of them knew where we were that one person didn't necessarily know where we were and that's okay you know that's, that can happen well we we're eighth grade kids we had other things going on other things on our mind as i'm sure everyone can imagine and uh that was just hilarious good times i can't believe it's been so long but yeah dave and chris i don't know what they're up to these days they went to another high school a lot of guys did but uh you know our class uh, made it through and just some great memories, especially there in eighth grade. Uh, you also taught uh, juniors and seniors, I think, was it uh, pretty much for U.S. history and government and politics and kind of what was that like teaching older, older kids, we'll say, in the upperclassmen of high school? Sometime around, I don't know if it's 20 years ago. It might, have been, it might be 20 years ago or maybe between 15 and 20 years ago. The school um, started adding AP classes to the uh, to the platform. So we were teaching uh, one section of U.S. history, and we were also teaching an AP U.S. history section. And then also we did that with government and politics. Uh, I took the the AP classes starting back when we first started doing it, and um, with AP, you know what you're really trying to do is get everybody ready to take and pass the test. I mean, there's a, there's a scheduled test. It's a, it's a national test. Everybody, every, you know, person that's taking the test is taking it at the same time somewhere in the world. And um, it's pretty rigorous and it's tough. And what you, 
you're just basically trying to get everybody ready for the test. In that sense, it, didn't, it seemed like the students didn't have as much, I'm going to use the word fun, the good times, you know, all the back and forth, the banter, the questions, the opinions, the news, um, pop culture, that stuff, you know, I pretty much had to leave that behind. And um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I did it the right way or not, but it's like you have a limited amount of time to get ready to take the test and everybody's expectation is they'll get what they need out of the class and then they'll take the test and they'll pass it. And it's the equivalent of passing the college course. So you can check that one off your list when you go to college, you don't have to take it. Um, so I did that in both those, uh, both of those courses, did that for all, you know, all that time up until uh, 2014. And, um, you know, it was, it's rewarding because it is tougher material. You know, we used a college textbook and, and there are some very highly motivated people in the class. You know, they want, they're, they're like, give me more, give me more. I, I, I want to get a four or a five on this test. I don't want to have to take this class in college. And so it's demanding in that way. You got many students who are there because they're deadly serious about passing it and getting it out of the way. So you have to teach it that way. It's just a lot of information. It's, it's not as much, you know, the teacher sits up on the desk and talks about the current events. You don't get to do that in that class. You know, it's a lot more structured. So <laughs> Uh, it was really rewarding. I mean, for me, you know, I can, pretty much every year we did it, we got a little bit better. And um, now, you know, um, the course is being taught by Holly Shelton. Okay. And I know that, uh, you know, they're, they're doing pretty well. I think they have a pretty good pass rate for, for that exam. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's, that kind of took over my high school teaching. It, it, it changed things a little bit. But I still did eighth grade. And that is basically – the same. It never changed. The faces changed, but the, everything else is the same. <laughs> was it interesting in seeing kids in eighth grade and then seeing them again uh, three or four years later? Did much, did much change or, or was it all kind of the same with a lot of kids just in general? Yeah, it depends. I mean, yeah, some kids were very much the same. You know, the, the personality, the demeanor, they're just bigger. Uh, <laughs> And on, then there are others that were like really quiet and um, really kind of shy and retreated. And uh, <laughs> by the time they were juniors or seniors, they were like totally out of their shell, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so you saw that too. They had both. And I think in any walk of life, you're going to see that. Oh, man. Well, it's, that's very interesting in uh, hearing uh, from teachers, the teacher's perspective as uh, most of us have been students, but never teachers. So that's always fun, especially with that age group. Well, well, Mr. Davis, what about your kids? I know you have three kids, uh, Devaney, Deanne, uh, Dylan. Uh, I do know that uh, Dylan, your youngest, was a member of the very first Rio Hondo Prep CIF baseball championship team uh, in 2019. Uh, and we talk a lot of sports on this program and everything. So uh, I, I'm sure we'll get to your daughters here in a second. But as far as the most recent uh, big uh, championship banner Rio Hondo has had, I mean, what was that like going on that baseball run and watching uh, one, of your, one of your kids win a CIF championship, especially in one sport where Rio had never done it before? Yeah, um, th that baseball run was, a, was really a mountaintop experience for us um, as a family because – you know, for, going all the way back to when I was a kid in, in, um, in Rio Hondo, uh, Terry Youth League and Boys Christian League goes way back into the 1930s, and baseball has always been 
a part of that. Baseball has always been, in, at some points, was the main thing. And, you know, when, once we had our school and once we were being competitive and we started building a reputation in the football program and then the girls' basketball program, uh, you know, kind of shot up and uh, now has a good, uh, really strong reputation. Um, it, was, it was kind of, there was just kind of this empty spot, like, we should be, we should win baseball. How come we never won baseball? You know, we had these really great teams. We've had teams with, with personnel, like you wouldn't believe. How come we never put it together and won a baseball championship? And, um, you know, I was more of a spectator, wasn't coaching in high school, so I don't have a concrete answer to that. Mr. Loomis was around for that. Mr. Horton was around for that. Um, Mr. Johnson and Mr. Dowd, you know, for decades, um, you know, built a baseball program. But it's like we could never quite, yeah. we just couldn't quite get over that last little hump. And um, we lost a lot in the quarterfinals. We lost a lot in the semifinals. And I think we went to the finals and lost too. Just too, it's like never were quite able to do it. This year, you know, with, with Dylan and the guys, um, you, could, you could tell at the end of the season that things were going pretty good. They were starting to click a little bit. And even though the prep league competition was very tough and we, you know, we'd have some league losses and maybe a game here or there where we, where we didn't do that well, you, you just had the idea that they, they were pretty good. The team was okay. They were, they were going to, they're going to be all right. And um, that thing that sometimes happens in the playoffs happened for them. They just, once the playoffs started, it seemed like everything worked and the, the, the they had a pitching duo, you know, with Evan four and um, Jack, uh, Jack, he's going to, the, the fact that I can't just reel off his name is a horrible thing. Um, <laughs> anyway, those two pitchers, they just, they just started getting everybody out. I mean, <laughs> you just, you, I mean, we watched it happen and, and we're playing against schools, obviously, that are a lot bigger and schools that, have, you know, we just really weren't supposed to beat. And we were, you know, we were supposed to get bumped out of the playoffs and, and they just kept winning. And, um, you know, by the time they got to that final game, I really thought they had a, a chance. I didn't, I didn't even think I cared who they played. I, I said, if they keep doing what they're doing right now, it doesn't matter. They're going to win. Yeah. And then they go down, what, four nothing in the top of the first. And you're like, oh, man. Four nothing in the top of the first inning. And I'm sitting with my wife. And I said, you know what? If we get up in the bottom of the first and we score a run or two, we're going to be fine. So yeah. Okay. All we have to do is get a run. And we did. And, you know, after that, it's kind of the tide turned all for us. So it was, it was really, it's really great because, you know, as a parent, you, you want your kids to, you know, win. You want them to be successful. You want them to feel good about what they're doing and all that. And, um, you know, there wasn't going to be any kind of participation trophy that they gave out. Nobody was going to say, you guys are all great because you made the finals. You know, you, you either win the thing or you don't. And they, they just held it together. And, you know, you got to hand it to the coaches. You got to hand – I mean, Todd Carson wasn't a coach because he's already moved by this time, but – you know, a lot of the groundwork for all that stuff was laid by him Yes. and, um, and, and other coaches that they've had over the years. And so, um, you know, the job that they did, JT, uh, and they just, they were so solid. They made such good decisions and everybody just kind of rose to the occasion at the right time. All that, it all had to kind of work perfect for it to happen. And it did. They, it just all worked right at the right time. And, um, you know, they got it done. So, 
you know, for our family, that was a, that's still one of my all time favorite things. Oh, it's gotta be. It's just absolutely has to be. And, you know, I I know you guys are big angels fans in the Davis house, but it, 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 I know it's MLB and it's small school, high school baseball, but it was, it had the same feel to it. Like the 2002 angel team that just kind of put it all together at the right time. And you're like, what, who are these guys, you know? And uh, I thought that was really interesting and, and yeah, happy for real Hondo. Anytime they can hang, hang a banner. I don't care what sport it is. Uh, It's a, it's a good thing. Um, well, well, what about, uh, your, your other daughters, Mr. Uh, Davis, Deanne and, and Devaney, how, how were they, did they, how, I, I, I wish I knew the time frame here. What was their experiences like playing sports at Rio? Did they have some success on the basketball, volleyball courts or anything? Yeah. Um, the, uh, we'll go with my, uh, first, my, my younger daughter, Deanne. So she also had the opportunity to be on a, on a championship team. So she mm-hmm. was on the 2015 girls basketball championship team and, um, yeah, you know, we went in there supposedly. We were underdogs. You know, Price Academy. Um, we weren't supposed to be uh, able to compete with their speed and everything. And um, they did. You know, they had a similar situation where, right through the playoff run, right to the championship game, they just really, they were just really smooth. They just seemed to click. Um, and she, she was on that team. Um, I don't know if people can remember it, but since it's my daughter, I remember she made five three-point baskets in that championship game. Wow. <laughs> when we were up four, one of her teammates stole a ball and threw it to her, and she was way outside the three-point line, and she put it up and made it. So suddenly we were up seven with like a minute 19 left, and I think that's when we all knew, hey, because we probably won. Probably just won. <laughs> So, um, you know, her good friend, uh, Stephanie Escobar was really the MVP. She was the real, you know, the kind of the rock of that team. Um, and she had a great game too, and was MVP. And I think she should have been. And, um, same with them. They just did everything right at the right time. And I think, you know, again, coaching is part of it. You know, Mr. Mentioned Mr. Parker, Joe Parker kind of figured out when to play people yeah. and where to put them and he got it down right. And so that, uh, that created that, that another one of those great moments. It's a family thing, but it's a school thing. And it's, you know, I'd like to think the whole world knows it, but they don't. <laughs> she, she had her best game ever in high school in that final game. And, and it made a huge difference to the team. Um, my oldest daughter, Devaney, is probably the best all-around athlete. Of the, not probably. She's the best all-around athlete of the three kids. Um, all, all sports. Um, and, um, she has the distinction of being part of a team that's, that had, you know, she was on a team with Kara Kirby, Kaylee Martin and others, uh, that age group and, um, Hannah Martin and, uh, Chelsea Parker. Um, they were probably the best high school girls core team that ever worked its way through. Um, the problem that they faced was they were playing in the prep league at a time when the prep league was really, really loaded. Yeah. And, um, you know, here we were with our hundred kids and, you know, 50 of them are girls and a good number of those girls aren't playing sports. So it's really this really small group that worked their way through those four years, five or six years, even pick up the year after they were, they were just really good in almost any other time in our school's history, they would have won titles. They would have just brought down all kinds of titles. Um, but the prep league girls were so strong then. Um, you know, when we finally lost a volleyball game her junior year, 
um, the other three teams in the in the semifinals were all prep league teams. So if we, <laughs> so if we had beaten Quartz Hill, it would have been four prep league teams in the semifinals. Wow. The, the league was really strong, and it was really uh, a real test for them. Um, I just remember feeling for them, and I still do kind of, you know. Yeah. I, I see some of our girls' teams, they really – it seems like they just they just work so hard. They try so hard. They're just worn out at the end of everything, and they're playing against such difficult competition that it seems like it's, it's almost they're, – they're almost put in a position where, you know, it's going to take some sort of miraculous <laughs> – yeah, no, I hear you. <laughs> and um, my favorite moment with her is probably my favorite moment over the baseball championship and over the basketball championship, believe it or not. When she was a junior, the girls went up to play um, Victor Valley High School. It's one of the biggest high schools in Southern California, in Victorville. And I think they were seated second in the, in the volleyball tournament. It was the first round, so we were obviously supposed to go up there and get thumped out of the thing by, by them. And we lost um, the first two games and then won the next three. Oh. Um, and, that there's, and I think there's a complete video of that whole match someplace. Because I think I've seen it. So I know it exists. And if you're ever feeling down and you just want to, you know, have a good feeling, just get some comfort food and find that recording of that game when the girls uh, were down two games to none against Victor Valley and came back and won. Um, that's probably my favorite experience watching my kids in sports was seeing – that um and it wasn't even a championship game but it just shows you that you know you don't know when that moment oh yeah oh that's that's wonderful i love competition i love Rohondo prep athletics uh it's something that we talk about here often and i get a lot of the, you know my my friends like what, what's this real hondo what are you guys always talking i'm like well it's just it's who i am it's where so many people um who come on the show are from, and it's still important to a lot of different people, no matter what age you are. Well, yeah. well, Mr. Davis, what could you tell me? What What are each of the three kids uh, up to now? I know, I think okay. you talked talked a little bit about each of them off the air. What, what uh, What's going on currently with them? Okay, so um, my my oldest daughter, Devony, is um, is working and going to school. Um, she was in, interested in communications and public relations, and um, I'm sure my major, my major, good for her. <laughs> I mean, I think she'll end up there landing someplace that she wants to be. So she's just in the middle of the grind right now. And um, uh, my Deanne, the middle daughter, got married um, on March 1st, which was just a, you know less oh, than two boy. weeks before the shutdown. So we had a we had a real wedding with a lot of people there and all the stuff that happens. Um, and and just right after that 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 wedding venue had to close down. And um, you know how it's been since then. We've had a lot of these creative. Uh, weddings where you know how people have been doing it in small settings and recording them and stuff but she was able to do that she's uh studying she's in the very last stages of having her uh teaching credential and doing teacher training in the fall but again here we are who knows exactly what's going to happen with teacher training in the fall which you have to see um dylan is uh going to cal state fullerton um he's in his second year um but he'll graduate early he's because of the credit that he's uh, already had, he's going to be able to graduate from Fullerton early, and then um, he's headed off to Navy, uh, Navy Officer Candidate School. He's interested in being an officer. Wow, in the Navy. Uh, so uh, that's a pretty diverse. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> people going different directions, but it's good. You know, I'm glad that they're all. Um, I'm glad that they are all kind of doing something a little bit different. Um, oh yeah, testing themselves. Uh, 
see what they can do. Oh, that's great. Well, I know you and your wife are very proud and it's cool that they all come from a similar background, uh, similar sports um, experiences and everything. And then going to, uh, you know, they're different, different ways. I know you guys are very happy for them. And, and, and that's, that is incredible to hear. I'm sure. It's a tribute to, uh, to you and your wife, uh, Mrs. Davis and all the uh, great, uh, great work you guys yeah. have done as well. <laughs> well, well, Mr. Davis, as we kind of wrap it up here, any, any other, uh, any other financial uh, advising uh, information for us or anything you'd like to get to? Yeah. I, if, um, first of all, you know, we survive, uh, on on referrals, uh, mm -hmm. there's not a big advertising campaign. Uh, I don't put anything into advertising; it's all word of mouth. Um, and you know, people who allow me to work with them once they're satisfied usually don't have a problem referring their friends and family to me. Um, so I guess what I would ask is that people who are listening here, uh, they, you've heard you've heard a lot today about what you should do personally, and many of you know how to find me. Some, um, I'll give you some contact information in case you have a few people that, that don't necessarily, you know, have a, an easy way to contact me. Um, but, but, you know, what I would ask is uh, if you believe that what we're doing is the right thing, uh, if you're convinced that I actually know what I'm talking about here, um, if you have friends or family who are facing any of these challenges, uh, you know, I, I would appreciate more than you can even fathom um, referrals being uh, sent to them or having them uh, sent to me. And I'm not just talking about 20 year old people who want to start investing for the retirement. Uh, you know, people who are close to retirement themselves, people who are at the end of their working years, people who have considerable money already saved, people who don't have considerable money already saved. Um, young people who are in the middle of family life, maybe recently got married or maybe got married a few years ago and have a couple of kids now. Um, everybody's needs are just slightly different. You know, everybody has things that they need for themselves and for their family that needs some personal attention. You really need somebody to look at what you have and what you need and then work out a plan because we have to get a plan and some habits going to, to tackle this. So all these aspects of financial planning, whether it's investing or insurance, people at retirement, um, young people, I would appreciate, um, I would appreciate uh, you know, having, having some of you say, Hey, I know a guy you should talk to. I know him and I know he's not going to sell you some junk you don't need. So, um, that's my, uh, that's my only real pitch is <laughs> if you believe, you believe anything you heard today, you know, a few referrals would be nice. Um, so do you need contact information? Yeah, let's get some contact information. Uh, uh best ways to get in touch with you, um, in the various uh, ways of, yeah. Okay. So, my phone rings a lot, and a lot of times when I don't know who is calling, I don't answer, and I'm sure uh, a lot of you do the same. Um, so send me a text and say who you are and what you're inquiring about. Um, I love the text messages or the calls because that day I usually know they happen. An email could get buried someplace, and I apologize if you ever emailed me and I didn't <laughs> write that to you. Um, but the call or the text will get you know answered right away. Um, my phone number, just my cell number, you can call it anytime. If you call it super, super late, my wife might reach over and hit me. So don't call really, really late at night, but almost anytime is okay. Um, my number is 626-622-7464. And if you do want to send an email, you want a little more substantial conversation, um, um, an email you can reach me is 
D E Davis, just like my first two initials and my name, I I R. So that's D E Davis I I R at gmail.com. So either way, um, you know, I check the Gmail every day. A couple of other accounts I don't even, I haven't looked at them in a while, so don't, you know, neither here nor there. So yeah, the phone number or that email, uh, give me a, just give me a little uh, contact, a little question, something that you're curious about, and uh, I'll see if I can help you put together something that'll actually work for you and your family. Well, definitely, and you've been a big help to me, uh, Mr. Davis, and, and guys, for those listening, look at this is someone I, I trust. Obviously, I've taken the plunge years ago into in, in some investing uh, for my future. Uh, so I, I, he's somebody I trust. He's somebody I, I highly endorse. If you're if you're just looking for any information, he will work with you. He's easy to talk to. Uh, there, there's no no dumb questions. He's like I said, he's he's very serious, and then we'll uh, we'll get you the answers that you need, and, and at least get you kind of uh, you know some basic information really that you can make the best decision. So yes, uh, we hope that uh, some listeners reach out to you, Mr. Dan Davis. Okay. Thanks. Sounds good. Well, Mr. Davis, thanks for joining us. It was a blast catching up and, and talking, uh, you know, I guess, learning a few things. Uh, and hopefully someone out there heard something they like and uh, they'll be touching base with you real soon. Okay. Have a good one. Thank you very much. Thanks again, Mr. Dan Davis, for joining us on the program, offering some simple advice and tips for financial investing and uh, just some all-around advisement. Thank you so much. It was great catching up with you and also talking some uh, teaching days when you were our teacher back in eighth grade in high school. A lot of fun memories, and I wish we could all get together with some of our old classmates and share a few laughs. I think it would be a great time. Hard to believe it's been over 20 years now, and uh, just, man, the memories the memories you make, they are, they're definitely uh, last a lifetime. So thanks for everything, not just the advice today, but also all those those moments in the classroom you were definitely someone i always enjoyed uh sitting at my desk in front of and and listening to and definitely sharing a few laughs so talk to you soon mr davis my best to you and the entire family and we'll talk to you again very very soon well guys that will wrap up today's episode of the get home safe podcast i want to thank you all for tuning in today the show is continuing to grow guys i know it's hard to go backwards necessarily but the show is growing we continue to get great listenership we continue to to uh, gather uh, total plays and not only that, but some uh, communication, if you will, from some of our guests, uh, some suggestions and different questions here and there uh, through our various social media platforms. It's just been a great time and a lot of fun doing this. And we're going to continue to do this as long as we can uh, until something else comes up and there's some more, uh, <laughs> maybe some more. Uh, obstacles or whatever in the way. But for now, we will be here for you guys on the Get Home Safe podcast Monday through Friday. We take a break on the weekend, but we're here Monday through Friday, hopefully with a new guest each and every day and someone that uh, you find entertaining or interesting. And if it takes you down memory lane, that's great too. But we're always happy chatting with somebody here in the microphone and we thank you so much for listening well there are plenty of ways to follow the get home safe podcast as i just mentioned you can follow us on twitter our twitter handle is get home safe pod our facebook and instagram page is get home safe podcast 
And our email address is gethomesafepodcast at yahoo.com. We would love to hear from you, so feel free to write us in. An email is the best way to get a hold of us, but if it is through any of those social media platforms, then uh, that works out too. Appreciate those for listening, and uh, we hope to hear from you guys. Like I just said, through an email, there's also a voice message option on the Anchor app or anchor.fm. Look for the green button. You can leave a quick one-minute limit message for us. We can play that message on the air if you'd like. And if not, if you don't want to hear your voice, we totally get that. Just write us an email with your questions, comments, or whatever the case may be. Guys, that will wrap things up. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to our episode tomorrow. Thank you again, Dan Davis. We will have our Suds with Studs segment tomorrow on Friday, as well as another guest that we will post on our social media platform to let you guys know who it will be later tonight. But guys, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe. <laughs>